everybody, before we get going, just a reminder that we are part of the Osiris Media Group. Go over to OsirisPod.com to check out all the eclectic and diverse offerings of podcasts they have to offer. Osiris has a new partnership with a nonprofit that I want to let you know about real quick. That's Fans for Racial Equity. It's a community of fish and jam band fans that promotes racial equity and respect for difference within the fish and greater jam band community and beyond. Fans for Racial Equity strives to make the community a more welcoming space for people of all races and ethnicities. It was founded in 2017 and has an active social media presence with over 1,500 members in its Facebook group. Recently, Fans for Racial Equity, their activities have included tabling inside fish shows, working with music venues to implement racial equity training for staff, hosting an all-day virtual retreat that included a public panel highlighting the experiences of fans of color in the fish community and raising almost $5,000 for racial justice organization Color of Change. Check out Color of Change. It's an amazing organization doing amazing things. Upcoming activities include mobilizing the community to support Black Lives Matter and also to advocate that venues and bands use their influence to enact changes around policing in communities that fans visit see shows, building out intervention training for fans, and creating videos for fans to tell their stories. Please check out Fans for Racial Equity at Facebook.com, Fans for Racial Equity. They have a Twitter at Fan or actually, I'm just going to spell that out, at P-H-A-N-F-O-R-R-A-C-E-Q. They have an Instagram at Fans for Racial Equity. Check it out. It's an amazing organization. And uh, let's get this party started. Welcome to the Party Pal, the mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. I am one of your hosts, Michael Shields. I am here with filmmaker, artist, uh, film buff, friend, and uh, of course, part of the Welcome to the Party Pal team, Mitch Lucas. Mitch, how you doing? Good. Friend first, all those other things. Yes. Second, so I, You know, I threw in artists because I'm loving watching, uh, you've been posting, paint, you've been painting during this, this time, and I've really enjoyed yeah. your work. Oh, thanks. Pastel. Uh, I've been working mm-hmm. on that for uh, 
intensely for a few months, but I, I've been passionate about it for a long time. Yeah. Hopefully oh, wow. I'll be able to uh, crack the code on it here. Uh, <laughs> Breakthrough to uh, master level, but not quite yet. I've uh, I've I've had a fun time kind of watching. Um, you know, I know everyone's talking about people breaking, baking bread, and doing a lot of different things during quarantine. But I've gotten to see, you know, some some people in my life and, and that had different talents that I didn't know. And it's 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 you know that's kind of exciting in the, in these days. Um, but also as exciting is what we're here to talk about, and that's eight and a half the. 1963 Italian surrealistic comedy drama film directed by Federico Fellini. This uh, it stars um, Marcello. Is it Mastro? Mastro? Can you help me here, Mastroini? Mastroini. Yes, Maybe? that's it. Yep. Um, as a, he's a famous Italian film director who suffers from uh, stifled creativity as he attempts to direct an epic science fiction film. It's won, uh, it won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. It six, um, sits among the top ten on the BFA, BFI, stumbling across some words here today, BFI Top 50 Greatest Films of All Time, and it's widely considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. So I think it'd be a fun way to approach this um, discussion to discuss what what makes this film so beloved, so so special, and, and heralded in the way that it is, and and then you know on top of that, discuss some of the themes present in the film because there's a bunch of ideas kind of thrown into this this film and, and, and pieced together. So um, let's let's start right there. What why why it is hailed in this way, Mitch? What would you say? Why would you say eight eight and a half is so special? If you believe it to be so special, I shouldn't make any assumptions. Uh, I do believe it to be very special. Uh, it's a film that I first watched uh, probably 25 years ago or something like that. Um, I think that one of the reasons that it's uh, looked uh, upon as such classic and of such great importance in cinema, um, the first thing I would say is that it's very accessible as a film. Um, it's, it's certainly bizarre, but the themes are very uh, applicable to the life of anyone who has ever tried to create something. And that type of creation doesn't have to be filmmaking or writing, but it can be your everyday life, anything you're trying to build. Maybe you're trying to build a house, or maybe you're trying to uh, to accomplish anything and you feel overwhelmed or you feel a sense of having too many ideas. Um, your your real life is, is blending itself into the process. And uh, it's just a film <clears throat> that's... That's number one. I think it's accessible. Number two, it's very funny for a classic film. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Yet it's a very dark and and poetic film. It's still a very funny film. And number three, it's just shot, you know, beautifully. A per, you know, just elegance all the way around. Um, very, very accomplished, uh, both uh, in cinematography, uh, but also in the the themes the there's just so much to take in yet it's a very um it's a film that a lot of people can enjoy absolutely i like i like you know and i didn't have that you know i have my notes of, of what i believe is so special about it and that i love i love that idea of accessibility i didn't have that down just because it is something i watched it you know when i was getting into uh film 
um, at a young age. And it, it was some of the older classics were a little inaccessible. It felt dated. This just felt fun um, and funny. You, I love that you mentioned funny, too, because uh, it, it's it is it's so absurd in so many ways, but in but in a great way. And uh, I come up I came upon one. Um, fun little fact about it that um, Fellini, he stuck a little piece of paper um, right near where the viewfinder was on the camera and that it read in Italian, of course, but it was translated to remember this is a comic film. So even oh, like okay. when, when, he, when he was filming, he wanted to like even some of like, some, you know, some of the scenes probably could have played out in um, a way that was very, very serious because, you know, there's obviously a you know, man struggling with his relationship with his past, but he just wanted to I like that idea that it was trying to remember that 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 that's not what it's about. It's not deep like that. So it is funny. And the third point you had is is my first point. It's just so visually, just enticing, and it's it's shot in black and white by cinematographer Gianni Di Venanzo. Uh, I apologize if I mess up any of these names. Um, who? Um, What's a shame there is his uh, his career was cut short. He made he he worked on some great Italian films. He died at forty five of wow. viral hepatitis. Okay, could you imagine where he would go? It was so so shot shot so so amazing. But um, the dream sequences just just I mean I was it's one of these films that like right away you're you're transported and you know that yeah. opening scene with the the traffic and then you know he takes flight. It just. It's it's this the way they they, they shot it. It's it's just it beautiful and, and incredible. And it's so the surrealism is my my number uh, two. If I was if we are yeah, I guess we're I guess we're numbering today. Um, it just it felt so magical. I'm 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 so taken by um, you know surrealistic films and, and that take you in, in, and give you an experience that you've never had before. Certainly, the introduction or the opening scene of the film. I I, I remember. Uh, as a kid watching it for the first time and, and I think it was on VHS, you know, on my college days mm-hmm. or something. And I just remember thinking to myself that I'd never seen, uh, any type of shots like that. I'd never seen any mm-hmm. type of ideas like that. Um, I'd never been exposed to at that point, anything that looked like that other than maybe like kids in the hall sketches or something, something that yeah. dared yeah. to be a little bit different, but seeing that, uh, seeing, you know, um, Guido, um, being sort of being a balloon and being held on by a string, uh, mm-hmm. y- you, Im- I immediately felt a, a connection to those ideas and, and, uh, that feeling of falling. I, I think I remember just having a dream like, that I was falling numerous times when I saw that and really felt something to it. Um, so these, it's like they captured a dream in in a major, like I I had that same exact feeling. I'm like, they, they, they found a way to bottle in in film, a dream dreams. And not in a way that was obviously a dream, but in a way that you, you just didn't, it it just felt like a real dream because you don't know that a dream is happening when it's happening. And, and often in cinema, when someone's trying to portray a dream, they're portraying maybe, an actual real life event that you could never tell was a dream or, or just something that's so over the top. This just falls in line with just, uh, I mean, a David Lynch type of idea where you, yeah. you're just looking at something and you're mesmerized and you're not thinking about whether or not it's a dream. It's just there. And you're just, you know, you're in, entranced by it. Yeah. I think this opened the door um, to me to kind of, I, I felt when I was watching old films, um, classics, 
uh, initially that they were. They almost felt too serious. And this, this, this was something that excited me that there was films like this out there and excited me about international films. And, and you know, because yeah. like you just mentioned, I hadn't seen this type of absurd, absurdism, especially in classic films, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's something I, I, you know, I'm very much drawn to, which is great. Um, another thing that I think is so impactful about the film and, and, and that a lot of people, um, you know, kind of are drawn to, it was so... It was so self-referential in that it was almost critiquing itself. And this is part of the humor, too, in real time. I mean, I, it's obvious that Fellini knew how abstract of a film he was making and that it would be perceived that way. And so there's a lot of nods and jokes to that. I mean, the producer at one point is mocking him about um, the film that he's making, uh, Guido's making in there. And he's like, how can you, how can you not care? if your audience um, does, doesn't understand the film. And it's, it's you know, it can, it can be just taken back to him making this film. The, the critic uh, makes a lot of mentions of it as well, the critic that he hires to kind of help him with the film. He, uh, multiple times, he condemns the film's ambigu- uh, ambiguity. And he also, uh, he, you know, he kind of critiques him for, you know, uh, using a, a series of vin- vignettes of sorts. And, you know, it's kind of like Fellini was almost calling out critics before they could call him out like you know this is this is the way people are gonna you know view view my film you know yeah it dawned on me um i'll sort of go backwards but speaking about the critic it dawned on me that the critic was uh, you know obviously like his own conscious editing himself and and not not being confident about his own ideas and Mm -hmm. towards the end when the critic is saying it's better to not I, I don't have the quotes, but he's more or less saying it's better to not try than to fail huge. <laughs> yeah. you know, the, how how yeah. many of us have not said like, why don't I just not spend the money <laughs> on this thing that's 99% going to fail, you know, and yeah. just wa- be comfortable at home. Yep. And, uh, but going back about, you know, life and art and it, it's like, uh, I think it was a very original idea at the time, and it's certainly been something that has been played with, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm mm-hmm. and and Seinfeld and these, and I mean, countless others. I think Woody Allen actually made, uh, is it Stardust Memories that is uh, meant to be a Fellini? Yes, it is. Sort it's, of it, it's, it's absolutely. It's actually is my favorite Woody film, and I was going to bring it up okay. at some point. Yes, it is. Absolutely is. Uh, I wouldn't call that a spoof, but it's certainly yep. uh, an homage in every way. Yes. Um, but at the time, you know, this idea of where does it all begin and where does it all end, I, I, I think that probably was fairly revolutionary. Uh, and mm-hmm. this, you know, um, we can, but it, it's so interesting to try to figure out what's real and what's not real in this film. I mean, it, it becomes... It's obvious in some areas and very confusing in others. Um, I had mentioned when we were talking, I said I was intimidated because there's aspects of this film that are so uh, open to, they're so ambiguous yep. that, you know, it's hard to interpret it always in, a, in an intelligent way other than to just say what you feel is happening. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, because it is, it, it weaves in and out of fantasy and reality and, and just it, 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 like kind of this seamless way it just keeps happening and it's not only that he's drifting off into um you know dreams it, the, the, we're traveling into the past at times there's a there's, it, there is there's a lot of different pieces i mean we're 
were taking this journey in his head into his fantasies, you know, the dreams, fantasies in, into his past. It's, it's just a wild ride with, within Guido's head. It's really, it's really, yeah, like, like you said, when we were talking about what we were going to talk about here, it's, it is intimidating to dive in. There is so much. But, I mean, you, you, you've alluded to multiple times kind of like this, this idea of, of, of an artist, um, you know, really trying to put something out in the world. And he, he, there was one of the big themes of it is the yearning of, of an artist to create something beautiful. I mean, it does, it kind of comes to this culmination of him, you know, having this moment, which is really truthful that he's like, I wanted to make an honest film. I, I thought I had something, something so simple to say, something useful to say. And, you know, I, it, it's, and you're right. It's not just about, you know, a, a screenwriter or a filmmaker, but I mean, uh, any writers, anyone who's an artist, they want to contribute. You want to create something beautiful. And, and, and there's a yeah. pressure there. And this film is a lot about pressure. I mean, so much to the point where it starts out in, uh, uh, you know, a very symbolic pressure situation where we're in a traffic jam, as tight of a traffic jam as you can ever imagine. And that, that is, you know, very symbolic to the pressure that he's, he's, he's going through. And he tries to fly away from that, but he yeah. is pulled to earth, literally, on, 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 like by a rope, by, you know, some of his, uh, you know, uh, fellow coworkers who, who want to know what, what type of film he's making. So it's just there, he's under such severe pressure and that's, that's, that's really what's going on here. Yeah. He's being suffocated by the people around him and it's masterful how, uh, they work the camera to where it there's, you know, he's being asked numerous questions and he gets rid of one person. The next person's ready. He walks, down a hall that person leaves another person picks up with another question he literally walks right back where he was and it, it you know and and people are just wait waiting in you know reticence to uh to sort of jump on him with with more pressing questions that he hasn't even begun to deal with or he doesn't want to deal with um i mean most of these questions are valid they don't have a script they don't have an idea yeah. the actors are in there their actors are are on are in, on location more or less waiting to even be told what their part is mm-hmm. they don't know why they've even flown out to you know where he is and he's uh he's sort of in another world he's in another place and he feels like he needs to answer the question of what what is he feeling and what is this place before he can really make this film? He's, he's willing to wait until he figures it out. I yeah. I like that. You just mentioned that um, some of these, these things he's dealing with are, are very appropriate because, you know, yeah. yes, he does have to get the work done and some, you know, he's dealing it and, you know, it's kind of, you see it right in, in the beginning, he's dealing with an exhaustion and, you know, that's why he needs to go off to this, to the spa to kind of sort himself out a little bit. But a lot of that exhaustion is, is, you know, and a lot of his struggles are self-inflicted, too. I mean, the exhaustion comes from his, you know, the, his own lies and, uh, you know, his own pursuits and his sexual appetite. I mean, um, he really is. He's, he's, he, he's living in this web of lies that he's created so much so that uh, there's that scene in, the, um, in uh, uh, that dream he has where he's kind of like the head of a harem. Um, yeah, and, the, all the all the women 
that in his life have come to have turned on him. Yes, know? absolutely. That, that's wild stuff. That's so fun. But he, he makes a speech in it where he's like, happiness consists of being able to tell the truth without hurting anyone. And that is something he cannot do because he's, he's, he's created so much to see in his life. And, and so some of this, you know, the pressures, as we're talking about, um, of a filmmaker, you know, he, he really was getting it from all sides, from producers and actors and fans and lovers, etc. But a whole bunch of it was, was self-inflicted, too. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of the harem scene, you know, a huge theme of this film is um, his relationships with women, specific mm. women, but also women in general. And that's definitely something we got to try to dive into and, and think about in this film, you know? I think that's, that's, that's go there right now. Yeah. Cause he, <laughs> his, 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 his struggles with um, his personal relationships. You're right. Are kind of sit at the heart. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, in a big overall, you know, in a bigger picture, it's kind of like a human's inner struggles with, with, with finding, finding happiness. It was originally going to be called the film, um, La Bella, uh, Confusion, the, the, the uh, I probably said that wrong, but the beautiful confusion and Fellini settled on, um, eight and a half, which is of course a self referential title yeah. to, um, the, the amount of films he made. But so that beautiful confusion is just, you know, him trying to sort things out. And, and, and most of those were with, um, you know relationships and there's there's one thing that's going on is this this uh this vision of an ideal woman keeps popping up and and so i i i don't know if i'm right when i was thinking about this but i i thought a lot of his confusion when it comes to relationships was you know he never it, it, nothing was good enough for him. That's that's kind of what I got on on my second viewing this week because I watched. I hadn't run it back. I just I, I I hadn't watched it in years. And when I was watching it, I'm like, why haven't I broken this out in a while? This is magical. But um, I just kept thinking that like even because even the ideal woman ends up disappointing him. And it's like it's kind of you think about does does he know what he what does he even know what he wants? Does he even know what would make him happy? And I think. I think there's something to that. I'm, I'm not sure. I think he. I think the big problem that I saw is that he's compartmentalized the perfect woman, and all mm. he's he's deconstructed it, and now he has, you know, he has a mistress, he has a wife, he has the perfect actress, he has, uh, you know, people around him that just like annoy him, and all the and he has his childhood memories. Of the the prostitute that they paid to dance for them, you know. Mm-hmm. So he has this idea of lust. He's 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 broken it all down to in. in I think his Catholic uh, upbringing. There's like guilt there, and he's. He, he, it's all a combination of memories and real people that he's trying to build into one person. And I think Claudia yep. is sort Great of his point. idea of the perfect person and you're right she ultimately isn't isn't sold uh, you know on him in <laughs> no. in <and, and, laughs> you know doesn't believe that he's found any answers and and uh and it's a sort of a uh it's a losing uh it's a losing adventure or quest for him yeah, you can. I, I, I was thinking about the kind of the fragility of um, you know a lot of men's ego, and it's just that, that heron scene kind of um, yeah. 
you know, made me think of just, you know, that some sort of ultimate fantasy for him. But you know what that scene also made me think of? And one thing I did really love is uh, the acting. And and yeah. just I, th- I thought everyone was great, but the this the the, the kind of woman ensemble cast that that kind of came together in that scene and that were in you know pe- in different pieces throughout the film were just absolutely uh, amazing. And, and whoever played um, uh, what's her name, Anuk Amy, I, I think Louisa, stunning. Louisa, what, just yeah. Inc- yeah, Louisa, she was just uh, in- incredible. And just so I wanted to mention that I was I was taken in by the acting for the film, but. Yeah, there's it's it's there's a real real struggle of of a human being and an artist that are kind of just thrown together at the same time, and so I mean that's that's it's it it, it it's it's you could see why that would break someone down, and it's, yeah. it, we we mentioned in, in, you know the it, how funny it is and absurd, and it, it's to me it's so funny that he was. Um, struggling so much that he had to go, you know, kind of sort himself out at a spa. But they, right. they sent they sent the whole production crew with them <laughs> to yes. like to like work on things there. That 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 kind of kills me. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. I mean he couldn't he couldn't even escape it, you know, uh long enough to have his like <laughs> weekend moment. Um no. talking about the harem scene, um it, it's one of my favorite most uh, inspiring scenes that I remember uh, watching for the first time, and I still mm-hmm. go back to it. And what I loved about it was it changes emotion so slowly, and and, and but and then it it rises to this. It starts out as this very slow, sort it of does. silly comedic. Uh, you know, they they introduce this idea of all these women in this harem and this like world that he's created in his head. And then it's like they turn on him like lions yeah. in, a, in a circus, and all of a sudden he's, it's like Tiger King. He's like forced to defend himself <laughs> at all costs, you know. And uh, I, I loved how the emotional, uh, uh, there was like such a sharp emotional turn. Uh, it's like a favorite scene of mine, so I just wanted to call that out. And I remember Gloria as a as a iconic uh, mm. you know, sort of iconic character and iconic. When I think of Fellini's eight and a half, I think of the character of Gloria. You know that that brunette with those dark eyes and yep. the sort yep. of danger in those eyes that you see. Um, but yeah, it's just one of the other things I love about the film is there's there's iconic images in my head that if I think yeah. about Fellini's eight and a half, I think about a character or I think about a moment, but like you can have a movie poster in your head of endless ideas, you know, when you think about it. Absolutely. But I, I love the, um, is just speaking of visuals, the visual of the big spaceship kind of structure that they're, yeah. they're building and we get to see it, you know, kind of at night and then again at day. And it just kind of, cause you know, they're mentioning the spaceship multiple times throughout and then we're brought into it, which is really, really fun. Um, it's it's wild how much is thrown into this film, and it is clearly you know autobiographical in some ways, and and that's again the parallel between real life, um, you know Fellini, what he's doing with the film, and what Guido's doing with his film, because you know he's Fellini's throwing a lot of himself into the film, and Guido's trying to put he's trying to sort out a lot of his life 
in the film, and it, it's it's really. And you mentioned, you know, that's something too. The, the religion thing. He's he's reckoning with his Catholic upbringing, and I'm sure Fellini was doing some of that. And you know, I always I, I always think that's great when, um, especially for a, a brilliant filmmaker who um, kind of that movie or or the 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 movies where they do kind of throw in a lot in their life. I know that um, Pedro um, Almodovar recently he. Um, he, he in Pain and Glory just last year that was very it, that was that's one of my favorite mo- movies in recent time. Um, there's a lot of him in it, and it's real. I love, I love when that happens, and that's what we saw here. And it, it was it was it was a fun way that he did it by also having it mirror mirrored with um, you know the Guido trying to do the same thing. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm I didn't even think about that, but now that you mentioned it, the Pain and Glory is a a very uh, eight and a half esque type of mm-hmm. film and type of idea of a, a filmmaker looking back on his life and trying to think about what's inspired him. Um, another great film. Um, yeah, well, it's another. Um, it's it's I I'm a sucker for movies about movies, and this is yeah. this is this is one of the 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 best ever. If you ask me, actually, I saw a Roger Ebert quote, and he he said it was the best film ever made about filmmakers which is high oh, I praise agree with him yeah, yeah I, I i do too and i was thinking i was I, I got to thinking about some of the films about uh movies about movies and they, they it's just the list is so great i mean um couple, let me think about that yeah please i mean i you know what's one that i watch time and again now and i think it's probably just on netflix when i'm going around i just i love hail caesar i think it's one of coen brothers oh, yeah. m- most underrated films i remember when it came That's out it wasn't one. it's really good um what about living in oblivion yes absolutely i haven't watched that that is like one of my that is just an I'm, absolutely I'm funny you know, i've seen that forever um yeah boogie nights is one that's about a film the artist boogie nights yeah um Adaptation's another uh, surreal one about a, a screenmaker, a screenwriter, yes. screenmaker, <laughs> screenwriter. Adaptation's really. I thought that was wild. Man, I was mentioning State in Maine. State in Maine. That's that's. What I, is what is that one? That's uh, it's got Philip Seymour. It's got a great ensemble cast. It's it's kind of it was a little bit of an indie film, but it's it's definitely worth checking out. Very very funny. The uh, the Aviator is technically oh, yep. has aspects mm-hmm. of of being a filmmaker in it. Uh, not. I mean, he was a filmmaker at one point, and it's like I say, the first act is about trying to get a filming. Well, I'd say Ed Wood might be my favorite. Yep, to be honest yep. with you, uh, yeah, Ed Wood's fantastic. Um, does life yeah. does life, life Aquatic? I think counts. Yeah, yeah, I think Life Aquatic is very eight and a half esque. Yeah, it, you, I agree. You have a, you have a, 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 I mean, you could consider him a filmmaker, documentarian, adventurer that's just lost his friend and he's trying to he he's he's certainly not sure what he's after <laughs> no you know? exactly yeah the, what's his end game it, it's he, it's tough to say because he doesn't even know um yeah no that's that, that's what i can think of right now but i just i do love i think i think people who love films as much as we do love to see kind of behind yeah. the scenes or just thought process behind it so but you'd have to say I would agree with you that this this film stands atop all of them as as a film about film making and I about agree. the film industry. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's just done in such a perfect way, and it's uh, I I was you know I was sort of deep diving into certain scenes I, rather mm-hmm. than just go through the whole thing, and uh, but the the flashbacks that there's. 
they're so I, I mean shooting on black and white you know it, there's a there's a uh, a skill set there because you're converting color to tones and you have to sort of know that yes. and it's not it's not just like well it's not color so it's going to be pretty easy and like it's just balanced so well in these night scenes i mean mm-hmm. it isn't just there's so many shades of of like silver and gray in there that just uh you know you can marvel at how it's done uh yes. forever yeah, there's a lot of different ways to enjoy it. I mean, you can laugh, you can get lost in it. I mean, it's 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 like it it's thought provoking and deep, but also silly and fun. And then if if you know, as cinephiles or just filmmakers can just look at how it was done and just the, the, how it's shot, the the, the way you yeah. know they paint with light and 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 it just it's really there's a lot of different ways to to enjoy this film it's just it's 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 so special it really is i thought of one more pressure because there was a lot of different pressures that i wanted to mention real quick is the uh, kind of it, i thought of it when we were talking about um the, those other movies about movies and and filmmaking but the, there's another um the priest gives them um kind of alludes to the responsibility of a filmmaker um at one point he says you can either educate or corrupt thousands of souls. And that's, you know, the yeah. power, the power of an artist. And, you know, that was just <clears throat> the last theme. So, um, it's, oh, it, it, I, I, we have to just do a quick, you know, hat tip to the score too, by, uh, Nino, Nino Rota. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's kind of like these danceable, um, numbers and pop tunes. And then just, there's a lot of changes. It's just, it's, it's, it's captivating. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's enchanting. And it's so haunting in the flashback scenes. I mean, he yep. can go from something that's very, uh, I want very body or like bold and like uh, like dance dance musical type of thing, and then it can go as quiet as you know, yeah. just one one note of can one drop instrument, out. you know, and mm-hmm. and it just is like sad and 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 just haunting and makes you really like well up with emotion. And then the next scene is just very comedic. Uh, bubbling I, up. I, I'm wondering what other... I know Nino Rota sounds like a very... It's like I know... I bet I know so many things he's done, but off the top of my head, I don't know what other directors he'd worked with. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, wor- it's, it's worth looking up. It's obviously genius. I'm sure he's done other things with Fulini, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a special one. I, um, You know, it's one of those ones that, that I was finding... Something special, uh, finding meaning in every scene, you know, or something to like really enjoy every scene. It's it's there's not a moment where you're you're not enticed by it, and you know it's it's really great. I remember um, thinking about the the magician in the beginning, and mm-hmm. I I always sort of looked past it as this man. That's an odd face in a film, and that guy's really bizarre. And then as rewatching yeah. it, I realized this guy held so many secrets and held so many keys in this film and in the ending it really i mean it really dawned on me that he was sort of like a gatekeeper at the end to uh to this ending where and i sort of wanted to talk about the ending because i was very i'd love to hear what your thoughts yeah well you know we we see uh guido um consumed by the pressure and, and consumed by his doubts and he ultimately Shoots himself, and then under the table. And then yep. we see the the critic telling him that it was a great idea and that it was the best idea, and that like it's better to it's better to 
more or less not put these things out into the world that might not be worth the damn. Uh, again, yep. I'm not quoting any lines, but he was just basically saying, <laughs> this is the right, this is the right thing. And then the magician just sort of comes up and says, oh, I'm sorry, they're ready for you. And then we begin yeah. this procession that is one of the most beautiful, surreal scenes and so happy at a moment that we, it, it, you know, we thought it was going to be, um, devastating. De- so devastating. Yeah. And, and I really thought about that as sort of the procession to his funeral, but it was also like comedic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd be interested in what your take on it was. I didn't, I didn't want to like give you, you know, my version of the answer. No, of course. And, and I think, I, I think, I think we all will have our own vision, uh, version of the answer. I thought it was a dance off into his, whatever is next. I mean, and it was kind of led by uh young uh, Guido too, who was, who was there as well. And I just, it felt like the kind of a culmination to, to his existence and, and, and I like to look at it as as a, a celebratory moment, you know. It's right. Instead of you know something dark, there was something that that they were leading to, or just just I don't know. Well, yeah. It's it, I, I think I take something different away from that each time. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I think that scene is so lovable and poignant is because the characters were so well defined throughout the film that to yes. see them immediately too. to see them in the end all together, you're, you're sort of like it's like the greatest thing in the world, you know. Um, mm-hmm. you're just so delighted to, to have them all together and it really brings, uh, uh, an amazing button to the end of this film that had so many twists and turns. Um, I, I don't know. I think I, ha- I, have never been someone who's needs an answer, uh, for things like Me I've never worried about whether or not Tony Soprano was dead or alive or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And yep. this is a sort of film where I was at first, I was like, did he really, did he really shoot himself and this is what's left of his soul and his memories or, mm-hmm. or did he, was he not, was that the dream and this is the reality or is it all in his head? And I sort of left yep. thinking that all of this was, we we're living inside of his, inside of his mind and, and we don't need to leave to have clarity. We can just stay yeah. in there and exist and that would be fine. So I sort of looked at it as that's right, man. I think that's an amazing way to look at it. Yeah, no, because I mean you're right. That's I. That's I. I I've seen that over the years as kind of a, a critique, and and you mentioned earlier that sometimes you're not exactly sure, and it and it, it definitely could have been uh, the dream uh, that he was trying to escape under the table in his mind, or it, it could have been it could have been uh, the the reality. And there's but there you know there there's purposeful ambiguity here i believe and and just you know i i think i have my take on it and i think you do too but yeah i'm with you i don't i don't fully need answers especially when there's so much beauty and so much to behold here and 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 you know it's it's and you're right it it did in whatever regard it it tied it up nicely having having that moment at the end it was it was it was really really great way to end it um i gotta tell you i'm really inspired to watch more um not just fellini but more um, classic films, and 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 now seems like a really good time as you know the the output yeah. of, of current movies is you know uh, at very very low, and so this is and I hope I hope we could do that here too. I think you know I think at Welcome to the Party Pal, if we revisit more classic films from time to time, I think that I think there'd be a lot of joy in that. Absolutely, I think right now is a time where. We are as a we are we're starting to enjoy um, whether it's like 
the alternative movie poster world where people are doing their own versions of like their favorite yeah. movies, movie posters, or just their own, you know, recreating scenes for on Instagram of your favorite movie, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're we're really mm-hmm. we're really digging into the past right now with you know with the lack of new stuff, and I agree with you. Uh, I I have so I mean you and I probably talk once once a week on. New ideas and new yep. new uh, little welcome to the party bell festivals that we want to do uh, as podcasts and you know we're we're gonna we're gonna start knocking these out. I agree. Indeed, you're saying you know people are digging into the past. What's what's fun and just it's remarkable to think about of how much there is to dig into and how much goodness is out there. And I hope we're, I hope we're shining a light on it. You know, I always hope that something we celebrate here. Um, is give someone a reason to watch it so that they can listen and kind of keep up with it. And I really hope that someone who hadn't seen eight and a half sees it because of this episode right here. Because giving giving someone the gift of eight and a half is a special special gift. So, Mitch, uh, any closing thoughts? Or are you, are we good here? I'm good. I would say if you do get to eight and a half and you really uh, loved it, um, go to my next favorite Fellini film, Roma. Is shot in color, much looser, um, yep. but equally is uh, memorable, and uh, I love it. I love that one. So check that one out next. Perfect, a fine recommendation to close us out. So thank you, Mitch. Appreciate it, and um, thank you, everyone out there, for once again joining the party. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.